It's just a yellow brick. No, Belina, you don't understand. This was the yellow brick road. Oh. It leads to the Emerald City. Hello, and welcome back to the Boo Case Diaries. <laughs> Are you guys scared yet? <laughs> We're three old gumps learning everything we can about movies and TV and hopefully teaching you in the process. I'm Robin. I'm Marcy. And Adam. Hey. Hello. Uh, How's everyone doing tonight? Chill. Chill. P- pretty okay. chill. All right. We've got our kettle corn and our hot chocolate, and we are about to record an episode on one of my favorite movies ever. In the summer of 1985, Walt Disney Studios released a sequel to one of Hollywood's most iconic films. Except it wasn't really a sequel. There were some characters with the same names, and it was based on the same source material. But the setting and tone were completely different. The director of this new movie, Walter Murch, called it dark and bleak, and audiences would agree. Disney itself didn't know how to market the movie, with a dreaded PG rating that was sure to keep parents from taking their children. Their biggest challenge was to shatter the expectations set by the original film, the brightly colored musical, The Wizard of Oz. That's some big (sighs) slippers to fill. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Return to Oz takes place after Dorothy has already visited Oz once before. Concerned for her well-being, Auntie M takes Dorothy to a mental institution where she will undergo electroshock therapy. But during a terrible storm, a mysterious girl appears to help Dorothy escape and leads her back to the land of Oz. Alone with only her chicken, Belina, Dorothy must navigate unfamiliar terrain like the Deadly Desert and a now-shattered yellow brick road. She discovers that Oz has lost all its emeralds, and its residents have been turned to stone. Much like the original, Dorothy picks up friends along the way. Friends like a mechanical man that needs to be wound, a stick figure man with a pumpkin head, and a flying couch with the head of a moose-like creature called a gump. Infamous for horrifying villains, such as Princess Mombi, an evil witch that stole the heads of beautiful women and keeps them in glass cases. Return to Oz may not be a Halloween movie per se, but it's definitely scary enough to be considered one. Definitely. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yes. Any excuse to talk about Return to Oz. I think Spooky Month is the best time to do it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Packed with horrors from the real world and the land of Oz, this film has enthralled generations of children with its imaginative design and memorable characters. This dark fantasy introduced children to an Oz much closer to the one of the books and bravely trudged through swampy territory that children's films of today would likely avoid. So friends, mechanical and mythical alike, it's time to return to Oz. Your Majesty, she has returned to Oz. Good, good. Keep an eye on Uh, in 1985 in the summer of 1985 my dad took my sister to go see this movie she was four years old wow oh my <laughs> oh my eons um, ago <laughs> did she run screaming out <laughs> no they loved it okay good yeah good, they good. absolutely loved this movie and we grew up watching it because he loved it so much In 1900, a failed actor and journalist published a children's book that is now considered to be the first truly American fairy tale. It was called The Wonderful Wizard of Oz. L. Frank Baum named the location of his story after the last drawer in his filing cabinet. He gave his main protagonist the name Dorothy after his infant niece who had just passed away. Oh, man. Yeah, Dorothy Gage, I think was her name. It was his mother-in-law, a notable feminist, who convinced Baum to write for children, and he had published a book of nursery rhymes a couple of years before. Baum wrote of a utopia called the Emerald City and used influences from his own life to create the story of Dorothy Gale, a young girl living a plain life on a farm who gets transported to a strange fantasy land filled with witches, talking animals, and metal men. 
One of the most notable facets of the story is the fact that Dorothy is an ordinary girl, not a witch or a princess, and she becomes her own hero with very little help from her companions, though they do protect her in some dangerous situations. Yeah, they they are there as moral support most yeah. of the time because without her they would just be st- stuck wherever they are. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's really her helping out them. But, you know, she finds comfort in their in their uh, presence. Yeah. yeah. She's the leader. She decides when things are done. And mm-hmm. Even though you'd think they'd know way more about Oz. I mean, <laughs> I mean, I mean they kind of do, but she's still able to figure it all out herself. Mm-hmm. Baum acted as if the stories were true, and he was the historian of Oz. Young readers were meant to believe that Dorothy and Ozma were real people, recounting their stories to him. This technique is similar to Lemony Snicket, another children's author of dark fiction. The book has never been out of print, and its fame places it among the ranks of other prominent fairy tales. Baum continued to write the story of Dorothy and her adventures in Oz until his death in 1919. His final Oz book, Glinda of Oz, was published a year later. Other authors continued the series, and there are 40 official Oz books in total, not including unofficial adaptations and sequels. Holy cow. Wow. That's a lot. Yeah, so there's an original (laughs) series of about 14 books, then it just continued on. Jeez. More authors. In the 1930s, when Walt Disney was working on his first full-length animated movie, he wanted to make The Wonderful Wizard of Oz next. But when his brother Roy called the bomb estate, they found that another film studio, MGM, had beat them to the rights. Damn. <sighs> this resulted in The Wizard of Oz, a technicolor marvel that turned Judy Garland into a megastar. This Oz was bright, filled with happy songs, and had notable changes from the book. For example, Dorothy's magical silver slippers were now ruby. What a weird and useless change. <laughs> I. It was certainly because of... Technicolor and uh, I mean, I guess that's true. Red yeah. shows up real nice over mm-hmm. silver, but mm-hmm. like it's, it it's iconic little, now. Can't, right, I but, can't think of it any other way now. Yeah, it's icon- it's too iconic. Yeah, it's true, but it is just the tiniest little thing that you wouldn't think mm-hmm. would matter mm-hmm. too much. But hey, this movie is now one of the most classic films in cinema. It has become the most well-known version of Oz, despite the fact that it is just one drop in the ocean of Oz lore. Yeah. 40 books <laughs> it's amazing how that first story gets told over and over again yeah. keep seeing yeah. that story get told in 1985 disney finally produced its take on the oz universe this new movie swapped joyful songs for a somber and foreboding film score and introduced audiences to an oz filled with dark horrors Ugh. So we talked a little bit about some of the stuff that happens in this movie, but we're going to give you a little bit of a rundown. There's a lot to unpack with this yeah. movie, for sure. <laughs> we I glossed over a couple things in the intro there that I think we should probably take a look at. Right. Yeah. Director Walter Murch based Return to Oz on the second and third books of the Oz series, The Marvelous Land of Oz and Ozma of Oz. After Dorothy is returned to her normal life in Kansas, she can't stop thinking about friends she left behind. One day, she finds a key from Oz and takes it as a message that her friends need her to return. Upset that Dorothy hasn't moved on from her delusions, Auntie M takes her to see Dr. Worley, a psychiatrist. He admits Dorothy to his hospital and prescribes electroshock therapy. Dorothy endures the horrors of being locked in a room, strapped to a bed, and hearing the screams of other patients. Um, what? (laughs) I know. As a child? Are you kidding me? Every time I go to the ER or the hospital, I think about this. Yeah, like, (laughs) what the frick? (laughs) Because any one of those alone is too much. Yeah. All four of those things for this little girl? You gotta be kidding. Right. While Dorothy undergoes her first session, a storm knocks out the power, and a mysterious girl appears to help Dorothy escape. Dorothy runs from the institution and climbs into a cage that is soon washed down the river. When Dorothy wakes, she discovers that she has landed in the deadly desert on the outskirts of Oz, and her chicken, Belina, has arrived with her. Switching it up from Toto, you know. Right, right. Toto's been there. (laughs) 
While making her way into Oz, Dorothy discovers a destroyed yellow brick road and follows it to a bleak and empty Emerald City, where all the residents have been turned to stone, courtesy of the evil Gnome King. A jerk. Yeah. With the help of Belina and some new friends, Dorothy must escape Princess Mombi and her horrible henchmen, the Wheelers, who are these weird, horrible <laughs> men on their hands and feet, mm-hmm. wh- wheeling around. We'll tear you into little pieces and throw you in the deadly desert. I haven't done anything to you. As she confronts the Gnome King and demands that he restore Oz to its former glory. Oof, what a story. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it sounds redonkerous just by reading that. Right. And watching it, you're like, oh, yeah. <laughs> you kind of feel bad for Dorothy. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously you're meant to, but like really bad. Mm-hmm. And then by the end of it, you're like, hey, you want to not? You want to not go back? I'm sure you love Auntie M and everything, but... Psh- yeah. I mean, everything else sucks. Right. <laughs> right. I mean, I'd go back for Toto. <laughs> oh, you know what? And screw yeah. everybody else. Yeah. <laughs> like, Toto, come back to Oz with me. Mm-hmm. We're done. Yeah. We're just done. All right. So they, they created this world. How did they do that? Well, director Walter Murch spent three years planning and researching for Return to Oz. His goal was to present it in the style of early 20th century fantasy. The dark tone and twisted characters were more akin to the original books than the movie of the 1930s. Yeah, this is more steampunky. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot more... Gritty. Yeah, there's a lot more early... You watch the original movie and you kind of feel like Dorothy and and those characters are from the 30s. Yeah. And then you watch this and they're like, oh, no, they're not. They're from... (laughs) They're from the late 19th century, early mm-hmm. 20th century. Yeah. The the one that's most obvious is like the Tin Man versus like yes. TikTok, right? Yeah. One of the more obvious technological advances. Mm-hmm. You know, the Tin Man's very old school. I guess he's just a barrel. Right. Basically, like, you know, <laughs> steam powered, basically, right? And then TikTok is, I mean, he's mechanical. Yeah. You have to wind you him up. He's him. a little more. Yeah. And, yeah. and in this version, you see, you get a glimpse of the actual Tin Man. Right. Like mm-hmm. the one that actually looks like mm-hmm. the one from the books. And, you know, he does look like a little tea kettle. Yeah. 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 Super cool. Merch understood the story for what it was a fairy tale. And if you know anything about fairy tales, they aren't necessarily happy or colorful. He intended to continue the tradition of Oz by celebrating its strangeness. The scenes set in Dorothy's Kansas were filmed in Salisbury, England, but the rest of the film was shot on Elstree stages and a studio lot. Production designer Norman Reynolds, who served the same role for Raiders of the Lost Ark, and Empire Strikes Back, nice, built a new kind of Oz with lunch pail trees and a crumbling emerald city with set decoration by Michael Ford, who also has the same role for the original Star Wars trilogy. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, these guys were well-versed in creating (laughs) alternate worlds. You know, they did a really good job, but it gets me thinking, watching this, like, right after the original movie mm-hmm. i'm like oh man <laughs> what happened here what happened to oz you know because you're you just got back from this like right. really nice looking oz right yeah, yeah. the yeah. worst of it is the witch and even then it's like still looks yeah. nice yeah. Mm-hmm. um but now it's like oh, right no right that that was something one of the articles i was reading about is how the villains in the original movie you know she, the, the witch is just kind of laughable. Yeah. And this is so much worse. <laughs> it gives you this feeling of dread. You know, you come in and everything, everyone's still, she is alone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's seemingly alone in this city. There's a scene in this movie where she passes her old house. Mm-hmm. And she tells Belinda, oh, you know, right. this is the house. You know, this is my old house before it landed, when it landed here in Oz. That really plants you so firmly in this universe, and mm-hmm. you and you kind of remember that first movie, and you're like, ah, oh, yeah, okay. Yeah. So this is what, oh boy. So this is uh, <laughs> where's all the people, and also the colors, and what happened? 
But Merch's biggest focus and concern with regards to Oz were the fantastic creatures and odd new friends that audiences had never seen on screen. In order to create the many faces in the land of Oz, a huge team was assembled of animators, puppeteers, and sculptors. They didn't want to simply make suits for actors to walk in, but to create full-fledged fantasy creatures that the audience would wholeheartedly believe in. The original Wizard of Oz is great, but it was easy to see that the cowardly lion was a man with whiskers. The creative forces behind Return to Oz wanted to avoid this, helping the audience suspend their belief. I think... That's one of the really strong pieces of this movie mm-hmm, are yeah. the the weirdness of it. You know, the, oh. the creatures that make you think we're definitely not in Kansas anymore. Right. Right. <laughs> right? Because they went that extra step. Right? Because yeah. the Cowardly Lion and really the rest of her friends from the original made it seem like it could have been just a play. On, yeah. Literally on a stage, right? Yeah. Because you would you would do a costume like that, and it, it works fine. Mm-hmm. But going that extra step is like, no, this is a lion, and you know, <laughs> yes. this, these are really like wacky creatures. This is an actual metal man, not just mm-hmm. a man with right. a silver face. When I remember watching The Wizard of Oz as a kid, I watched it a lot because it was one of my mom's favorite movies. And I knew that they were men in costume, like, you know, as a child. But this movie made it really seem like you were really watching these characters. These were actual things. I mean, the chicken was a chicken that talked. I cannot believe how good the chicken (laughs) is in this movie. The characters' designs were taken directly from the Oz books, with technicians and animators employing similar techniques as they did for The Dark Crystal. Another amazing movie. Yes. man. Their movements took months of study to create seamless performances between actors and puppeteers alike. Every time we talk about puppets, I'm amazed. Yeah. Again. Yeah. Belina lives on the Kansas farm with Dorothy and makes her first appearance as the chicken that finds the key sent from Oz to alert Dorothy that her friends are in need of help. Once she has arrived in Oz, Belina can now talk. When did you learn to talk anyway? I thought hens could only cluck and cackle. Ah, strange, ain't it? How's my grammar? Belina was handcrafted by Val Jones and woven elastic fabric interlaced with wool to which real chicken feathers were glued to. It was an arduous process, but the result was very realistic. Yeah, incredibly well done. Oh, yeah. Um, One thing that I'm wondering, if they sent the key to her, the Mm -hmm. idea would be that they're like, they're in peril, but they're okay at the moment. It's like, let's let's get Dorothy to help us, yeah. right? And then when she arrives, like, not that long after, it's total screwed. Like, everything's wrong, right? I wonder how much time is different between Oz and the real world. To Dorothy, yeah. the key has only been there mm-hmm. for however, like an hour at most yeah. or whatever, right? Like, she finds it. On a shooting star. Gets, yeah, exactly. But then, did they send it and then, like, didn't hear from Dorothy for, like, weeks? Just, just, oh, it's just interesting to think I about. Know. Yeah, I wonder about the time, the passage of time as well. Mm-hmm. For us, it was, like, a good 50 years. <laughs> <laughs> hey! <laughs> Belina was voiced by Denise Breyer. Lyle Conway, the creature design supervisor, said that Belina the chicken was the hardest to create. The puppeteers and technicians practiced for weeks to try to make sure that her movements were familiar and lifelike. They practiced with a closed-circuit television to see the movements and make sure they were perfect for filming. This was the hardest creature to create because it's the yeah. only one that audiences actually know and are actually familiar with. Yeah. Yes. So when you're watching it on screen, it's a lot easier for audiences to say, oh, well, that's wrong. Mm-hmm. That That's weird. That yep. looks strange. Because right. they've seen a chicken before. Everything yes. else, there's no basis. Yeah, you can't say that it looks wrong because right. you, you have yeah. no idea. Exactly. Well, that's not how a TikTok moves. Yeah, like, <laughs> that's not how a pumpkin head stick figure would move. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> Different versions of Belina were used with the operator's hand entering from either the back or underside of the puppet. The operator's fingers would extend through the neck and into two cups at the base of her skull for head movements, while a tiny cable system was responsible for her eye and mouth movement. For the longer, faraway shots, a real chicken took Belina's place. 
Aha. Nice. Yes. So there was a real chicken on set. <laughs> yes, there was yeah. a real chicken. Very nice. I-, I wish that every movie with talking animals, they did what they did with Belina. Mm-hmm. Oh, gosh. That would be hard. It's so expensive. <laughs> but it would look awesome. You know, I just feel like it's worth it, honestly. You you can only go one of two ways. It's either build one like Belina or do nothing like Homeward Bound. Yeah. You can, it's enough of the CG mouths. After Dorothy first arrives at the Emerald City, she meets a mechanical man named TikTok, the Royal Army of Oz. You may call me TikTok. Why won't you turn to stone just like everybody else? Because I am not alive and never will be, thank goodness. Hmm. TikTok spelled exactly the same as the app TikTok. No yes. relation. Yeah, there's no, no relation, yeah. but they are spelled the same. In order to work, TikTok needs to be wound. He has dials for thought, speech, and action. Yep, he's he's a lot more complicated than, <laughs> than the Tin Michael Sundin was the actor that had to fit himself inside the round suit, placing his head between his legs and operating the controls of the body. I've seen pictures. It does not look fun. No, it does not. In fact, it looks like the opposite of fun. Yes. Oh, no. I yeah. believe he would stay in there for about like an hour. Was he like, they would do like he's hour. He's like bent over. Time. Yeah, he's completely oh, yeah. bent oh. over so that his head yes. is between his legs. Yes, it, it's, it does not look comfortable. That poor man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All the way down, yep. like a folded All the taco way. in that suit. Are you kidding me? <laughs> oh. Yep, walking. Sean Barrett provided the mechanical man's voice, while Tim Rose used remote control to move his head and eyes. TikTok is my favorite. He's I love. Great. I love TikTok so much. <laughs> I think one of the things that are really special about these characters is that a lot of them are very sassy. <laughs> yeah, and uh, TikTok is a is a pretty sassy character, and I, I love that about him. Yeah, you'd expect him to be more like rigid and robot, but he's not. <laughs> There's a scene when she first winds him up, and she says, "Okay, I wound up his thinking," and Belina goes, "I wonder what he's thinking about." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's something so funny about this movie. There's so many wonderful little funny moments. Yes. Because things are so weird. And there's every once in a while, a character will kind of point that out. And it is, it is very funny. Yeah. Belina's got that extra little Oz flair because she's now <laughs> able to talk. Yeah. So she's constantly thinking that stuff. But now she's able to tell. <laughs> yeah. Jack Pumpkinhead is a creature made of sticks with a jack-o'-lantern head. He was created by Queen Ozma to scare the evil Princess Mombi. Mombi was about to destroy me with her stick, but she decided to test some powder of life she just bought from a magician. She did. It worked. Here I am. Dorothy meets Jack after she's been captured and imprisoned by Mombi, and he helps her escape. So pretty early on in the movie, Dorothy does get captured by the Wheelers and taken to Princess mm-hmm. Mombi and is locked in her tower and she encounters Jack Pumpkinhead. Yeah. Princess Mombi is awful. <laughs> yes, Princess we'll Mombi. We'll get to that later. <laughs> yeah, Princess Mombi is, when people say this movie's too scary, that's what they're talking about. Yeah, yes. that and the Wheelers. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Oh God, the, when the Wheelers the... first show up. Haunt my nightmares. Yeah. <laughs> Jack was brought to life by actor Stuart Harvey Wilson in the suit with Brian Henson controlling the puppet version of the character. Hey. Yeah. yeah. Brian Henson was also the voice of Jack. Nice. Nice. Yeah. yeah everyone knew that a Henson had to be involved with this <laughs> yes. movie. Yes. If there was puppeteering. Yes. You know. yes. If it was good be. puppeteering, yes, there's got to be true. a Henson somewhere. <laughs> The character was difficult because of the difference between the human version and the puppet version. The human was much more stiff and rigid in movement, whereas the puppet was looser and had to have his arms up because of the control levers in them. When he moved his head, his entire torso would move with it. Pons Marr, the lead performance coordinator, taught Stuart Wilson to be looser and to give little pops of movement pretty cool i think he did a wonderful job i have no idea i did not know that they switched from puppet to person it's from puppet to person yeah Yeah. it's pretty impressive i had no idea that's incredible to me Mm -hmm. that somebody did that that i'm yes i'm so (laughs) impressed Mm -hmm. and it's 2020 
Yeah. And I'm still impressed by that. <laughs> I mean, that's the thing about these old movies is that, you know, now that would have just been a, an entirely CG character. Yes. Maybe yeah. motion captured by somebody at the most. Yeah. But, yep. but doing it this way is so much more charming, you know. And again, I don't want to say that <laughs> the work that is done now is easy. And yeah. I really want to make not. that clear because it is not. I wouldn't know the first thing. To, to be able to create something like that and make it move and look mm-hmm. natural. But this is just, you know, give it. Yeah. It's, it's not, got personality. Yeah. They both are very difficult to pull off technically. Right. And yeah. it's just that we're really used to seeing the CG now. And we just would like mm-hmm. to go back a little bit. Yeah. yeah. And it holds up. You know, say what you want about the movie, whether you like it or not. Or you think it's too creepy. But you yeah. got to admit that the effects hold up. The Gump was a favorite of Walter Murch. A mismatch of items with the head of a moose-like creature, which is the, I mean, already (laughs) it's weird. Yes. Dorothy builds the character out of couches and palm leaves and uses him to escape Mombi's castle. (laughs) I mean, it's like an even better Falcor. Am I right? Oh my god! <laughs> I mean, he's, he's so comfortable. He's he's a Falcor with a lot of attitude. <laughs> yes. Yeah, 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 a lot. We built you and brought you to life so that you could take us to the Gnome King to rescue the Scarecrow. <laughs> I may not last very long. I don't feel too well put together. Gump was fully mechanical and cable operated, approximately 20 feet of cable. Those that operated it were just out of view, behind scenery, or just off camera. The creature design supervisor, Lyle Conway, was also the voice of the Gump, while Steve Norrington operated his controls. Yeah. I think the Gump, for me, is the most out there creature. Like, the rest of them at least seem believable in their own way. Like, (laughs) Mm -hmm. naturally, they could exist. Yeah. I mean, I guess the TikTok is built as a robot, but he seems cohesive. Whereas the Gump is like... Yeah. I mean, mismatch. Complete, yeah. Return to Oz has quite the group of villains, but some of the most nightmarish scenes in the film include the Wheelers. Yeah. Mm -hmm. A nasty gang of humanoids that have wheels on their hands and feet. They also wear terrifying masks on top of their heads. Yeah, they Um, do. What's up with that? They So when they bend their head forward, you see this horrific mask. Terrifying. I love it, though. When it first pops up, it is so scary. Yeah. It's a little bit of a jump scare. It is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because they kind of just peek around the corner. Yeah. And they have this horrifying laugh. (laughs) And I think what's so weird about it is the uncanny way they move. Yeah. Because you don't expect them to move so smoothly and they're so lanky and tall because they're on like stilts kind of. Yes, they are. Mm -hmm. But when their head is down and the mask is showing, the way you move your head when it's like down is not the same as you move it when it's forward. So that when it's like they're kind of broken yeah moving around and it's just this oh i just oh <laughs> chills up Amazing. your spine yes yes. yes they're much scarier than the flying monkeys Ooh, oh yeah. yeah the monkeys oh, were yeah. almost cute can we talk? <laughs> yeah. like the monkeys were like oh look at him yeah. that monkey. little monkey with wings <laughs> little hat trying to be scary yeah yeah, yeah. The head wheeler was actually played by the lead performance coordinator, Pons Mar. Yay. Yay. He was responsible for coordinating movement for the Cowardly Lion, the Tin Man, Jack Pumpkinhead, and sometimes TikTok. It's funny to me to think of that guy as being in charge of stuff. Yeah. Maybe he looked at it and was like, that looks like fun. I'm going to do that. (laughs) I don't know if he had fun. Based on the interviews that I watched. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, no. It was a lot of work. <laughs> yeah. It was a lot I of mean, work. I guess the only thing that seems fun is actually rolling around, right? But yeah. I guess it would be still hard to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The Cowardly Lion had a fully mechanized head with a human being in the body. Yeah. It's pretty mm-hmm. cool. So, yeah. like we said earlier, that extra step going, right. you know, instead of a person in a costume. And the Cowardly Lion is in one scene. Yeah. And yeah. He, he doesn't even, he's not even the feature of the scene. He's just no. there. Like, mm-hmm. he's just sitting there. So imagine going through all that trouble <laughs> and making all that yeah. just literally for, like, for the one scene. ending scene. Yes. Yeah. yeah. The actors playing the wheelers began movement training on and off the wheels, which then evolved into just being on the wheels most of the day. The process was grueling. Pons Mar said that there was nothing like being on the wheels. 
operating these new rigs took 17 actors several weeks to perfect. Yeah. <sighs> he couldn't tell any of the actors, oh, it's just like this, or it's like yeah. that, yeah. Or, or it's akin to this. They had yeah. to come up with their whole new idea of movement and how mm-hmm. they would do it. I wonder in the Dark Crystal Netflix show, there are these creatures who are like these big stilt things, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But they don't have wheels. They're just running like that. And oh, I believe yes. the costumes are similarly built. It's people running, yeah. you know, kind of on all fours. I mm-hmm. wonder if they were like, hey, this is like being a wheeler. <laughs> <laughs> Except without the wheels. Because yes. what else? Yeah. You know, it's the only two things. Right. The rear wheels were fixed to tennis shoes and leg reinforcements, while the front wheels were built with elbow supports, hand grips, and brake mechanisms. Thank God. Yeah. yeah. I was about to say, good, good thing. You good def- thing they can break. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. The Gnome King is the main villain of the film who has turned all of the inhabitants of Oz into stone and stolen the emeralds from the Emerald City. Um, how? Yeah. <laughs> well, he uh, <laughs> used the ruby slivers, actually. Yes. The silver slippers, you mm-hmm. mean? They're ruby in the movie. That's right. Yep. They're very powerful. They made it possible for me to conquer the Emerald City. Played by seasoned stage actor Nicole Williamson, the only part of the actor that the audience could see was his eyes. The rest of him was covered in makeup and prosthetics. The process to make him the Gnome King took five hours. Yeah. Goodness gracious. But they only did shooting with him for a few days. So. Yeah. That's good, at least. Yeah. As the Gnome King succeeds in turning Dorothy's friends into ornaments, he slowly seems more and more human. That is until the end, he angrily attempts to eat Dorothy and her friends. In the movie, he, as each each person kind of fails and succumbs to his little game that he's playing with Dorothy, which is quite creepy and strange. Mm-hmm. Yes. Each time they they show the Gnome King again and you start to see, you see his feet and you see his hands and, you know, he's starting to like become a person and it gets yeah. to a point where he just seems like a dude just covered in stone. Yeah. And it's really strange mm-hmm. how that starts to happen. He becomes more and more just yeah. like a regular guy. And then at the end, when he gets really angry because Dorothy is winning, he doesn't seem so so human-like anymore. Yeah. No. The Gnome King also has minions, other gnomes that surround him constantly and spy on Dorothy as she makes her way through Oz. These creatures were stop-motion creations by none other than Will Vinton. Yay! Oh my gosh. He was one of the people nominated for an Oscar when Return to Oz was recognized for its groundbreaking special and visual effects. Yeah. Deserved. Oh, yeah. Yes. Well. Oh, Will Vinton. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So this this movie had a couple stars in it. Yeah. Uh, yes. Feruza Balk played Dorothy Gale. Early on in the movie process, Walter Murch knew it was important to find the perfect Dorothy. Murch took 10 months to search in eight different cities, auditioning 1,500 young girls. He eventually found Feruza, a nine-year-old from Vancouver. Yeah. Feruza was not only a great actress, but she was also the same age as the Dorothy character in the books. They dressed her in drab farm clothes to drive home her plainness this was an everyday girl lost in an extraordinary land you know thinking about it now she almost makes a better dorothy because in the original dorothy is just like i think (laughs) outrageously beautiful and it's like she stands out in this farm house you know what i mean (laughs) yeah yeah so i think that the original is a great movie. Obviously, Judy Garland is that was you know her career defining yeah. role. Yeah, Feruza Bulk 
is a much more like the book Dorothy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She's a much more plain farm girl type character. Yeah. You know, and yeah, in the original one, they dressed her in that bright blue, beautiful gingham dress. Mm-hmm. And in this one, she's in this really plain, <laughs> almost like a potato sack kind of a... <laughs> but yeah, you can't hate on the original. I mean, it's a classic, no. right? No. Yes. But it was definitely more like Hollywoodified. Right. Mm-hmm. But I still feel like Feruza kind of had some similarities to Judy Garland that it wasn't so far-fetched if you watch yeah. them together. Yeah, mm-hmm. it, she does a great job of portraying the same character. Yes. But visually and kind of, you know, more mm-hmm. of a, a little bit less of a Hollywood attitude, yes. I guess. yes. So Feruza, though, she did her own stunts, really only being afraid of the scene where the gump jumps off the balcony because it was similar to a roller coaster. Nope. (laughs) (laughs) It was so cute. We watched the clip where they did this stunt. Yeah. And they'd had her strapped in and then she went down. They went down the little ramp and they yes. she screamed and you could see all the all the crew kind of giggle when she screamed. Yeah. Like, oh. And they went and got her out. She was like, I hope we're not doing that again. And <laughs> <laughs> it was just really cute. <laughs> really adorable. Yeah, no thanks. <laughs> and they said, Oh no, you're okay. We're not doing it again. She's also known for the craft, American History X, and almost famous. Yeah, and she's also, I believe, in The Waterboy. Oh, oh hey, nice. that's another good one. Mm-hmm. Fun fact, Disney had to pay a large licensing fee in order to use the image of ruby slippers for Dorothy, since the red shoes were unique to the 1939 movie. <sighs> <laughs> Even though those books are public mm-hmm. domain. Yeah. You can't use any of the elements that they created specifically for the story, for the movie. You can have a yellow brick road, you know, obviously because there's yellow brick road in the book. Mm -hmm. You know, you can have an Emerald City, but you have to be careful about how you portray these things and the characters. Anything that's unique to their adaptation, you cannot have. Yeah. Yeah. Ruby Slippers being one of them. (sighs) Damn. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Next, we have Piper Laurie as Aunt M. Known for The Hustler, Carrie, and Twin Peaks from 1990 to 1991. Oh, nice. Oh, that. That's really cool. I like Twin Peaks. Anyway, next is Justin Case as the Scarecrow. What a name. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> he has very few credits, unfortunately, but he was also in Superman 3 and Hamlet from 1990. Though he's best known for Return to Oz. Dorothy! Sorry. (laughs) What? (laughs) Nicole Williamson as Dr. J.B. Worley in The Gnome King. He was the leading role of a different version of Hamlet from 1969. And he was also in six episodes of Masterpiece Theater, Lord Mountbatten. He described the Gnome King as being an English pantomime with an over-the-top performance. Yeah, he said it was really fun to play him. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Matt Clark as Uncle Henry. He can be found in a few westerns from the 1970s, such as Jeremiah Johnson and the Outlaw Josie Wales. Sounds fun. But we know him as Chester the Bartender in Back to the Future 3, which is very fitting. (laughs) Yeah, he's in all these westerns and then Mm -hmm. Back to the Future 3. That's right. (laughs) Gene Marsh as Nurse Wilson and the main head of the multi-faced Princess Mombi. Oh, yeah. 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 Like we said before, there were quite a lot of terrifying villains in Return to Oz, but one that continues to stay burned in our retinas is Princess Mombi and her glass cases filled with human heads. Yeah. The the worst part, the part that I find most terrifying is that she's able to just talk fine yeah. with the head in her hands. Like yep. She doesn't have to yes. put the head on first. Yes. And I'm like, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. <laughs> And then she sleeps without a head. Yeah, yep. and the body's just like... That's Bruh. terrifying. Like, what the heck? <laughs> yep. Body... Oh, pass. Nope. Mombi stole the heads from the beautiful women of Oz and switches them based on her mood. 
and sleeps headless, as we just said. Mm-hmm. It was so odd seeing her talk in interviews because oh, yeah. she looks obviously different than her character. Mm-hmm. She has like this light blonde hair instead of the dark She's black. And lovely. she was so nice. Yeah. yeah. She was saying so things like, nice. I hope that people love to hate my character, you know? But <laughs> And I think she said something in the interview that really stuck out to me. She said, I hope people watch this movie and learn something about children. I thought that was really an yeah. interesting thing yeah. to say. You know, she's this horrible... <laughs> <laughs> Other heads were portrayed by Sophie Ward and Fiona Victory. The latter being the one that says to Dorothy, I believe I'll lock you in the tower for a few years till your head is ready. And then I'll take it. I believe you will not. <laughs> I've seen this a few times. I, yes. I'd say a few times. What a terrifying line. Jean plays a similarly evil role as Queen Bafmorda in 1988's Willow, a less successful George Lucas film. Also on Disney Plus, though, if you want to check it out. Really? It's not it so bad. Yeah. Oh, I love nice. Willow. Yeah. I'll have to watch that. Yeah. So there's a lot of things about this movie. A lot of feelings, a lot of images. Can you you feel it? A lot of stuff we've talked about. Yeah, it's pretty complicated. It's pretty weird. And there's a lot of theories about what the movie is about and, and that kind of thing. So since the original Oz books were published, there have been many theories about hidden meanings within the stories and their connection to American politics of the late 19th century. Cue all the history teachers talking about the gold and silver standard, a.k.a. the yellow brick road and the silver slippers. <laughs> we, we heard that. I heard that a lot in high school. Yeah. But these theories have never been confirmed or proven, and they remain to be speculation. However, there is no denying that Return to Oz and possibly the Oz books themselves contain complex themes involving mental illness. In the 1939 Wizard of Oz and in Return to Oz, the films made a very distinct creative choice. They had actors play roles in both Kansas and Oz. So in both of them, there was someone who played a character in Kansas, and then that person would play a character in Oz. You know, in the original, they had the fortune teller play the wizard. In Return to Oz, they they had the same actor play Dr. Worley, who played the Gnome King. Right. This is interesting because it hints at the idea that Dorothy has used the influences of her world to create the fantastic people and creatures in the Land of Oz. But Dorothy doesn't think that Oz is a dream, at least not in the 1985 version of the story. In the first one, she does wake up and say, oh, I had a dream, and you were there, and you were there. Mm -hmm. But in, in this one, it's a little different. Right. Auntie M sees Dorothy's delusions as a problem. Watching the movie now, it can be really easy to criticize her for bringing a young child to a mental institution. But Auntie M seems to think that Dorothy's visions and beliefs are causing her to be depressed. (sighs) Nobody believes her. Yeah. Because, like we said, in this version, she's to believe that Oz was real. Mm -hmm. It's like, they need me. You know, I've got to go back. It's real. It happened. Yeah. And nobody believes her. That's got to be really disheartening, even for a child. Right. Obviously, they're going through a lot of problems, you know, and she's seeing tension between her aunt and uncle, too. Right. You know? Yeah, that's right. Their farm has been destroyed. They're having some complex issues. And, and there's a scene early on where she defends her uncle. She says, you know, well, he hasn't he hasn't built the house yet because he, he's injured. And Auntie M's like, no, he's better. Like, she just straight out tells her, like, no, he's fine. He's just not doing it. Yeah. And so I think there are things that kids pick up on because their kids are really smart, Mm -hmm. but they can't quite process. And and Mm -hmm. Dorothy is dealing with a lot of that stuff. Yeah. And Auntie M, she might think that she's doing the right thing Mm -hmm. by taking her to this frankly terrifying awful place (laughs) place and it's also interesting what's portrayed to auntie m versus what's portrayed to dorothy because when they go to the office it's a nice office yeah it's it's what you would think of if you're just going to see a psychiatrist and stuff there's books on the wall yeah it's got a nice desk and he has this machine that looks kind of scary but not not really right he talks to dorothy like yeah you know, all friendly. Oh, exactly. he's got a face. Yes. See? A person. Yeah. He talks to her as a person. And yeah. then when she's actually brought in and admitted 
and she no longer has Auntie M there. She's strapped to this bed. The walls are all white. It's yeah, she's scary. locked in the room. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's very different what Auntie M is seeing versus what Dorothy is actually experiencing. Yeah. Depression is serious, and Dorothy does seem to be incredibly lonesome without her friends she met or thought up in Oz. One prominent theory about Return to Oz is that Dorothy may suffer from disassociative identity disorder, which would explain the reason that she often sees another girl in the mirror. In her mind, the girl is Ozma, the Queen of Oz, but some think that she could be the alternate version of Dorothy created in her mind. Hmm. Well, that is interesting. I mean, especially at the end. Yeah. Because, you know, the whole mirror thing, it's mm-hmm. like the perfect reflection. What is it? And... Oh, it's just a reflection. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. Some believe it's possible that Dorothy created Oz to deal with the loss of her home in the tornado. When she undergoes therapy and returns to Oz, a storm comes and gives her a chance to escape. What if Dorothy created the delusion of Oz to distract her from her treatment, and she really did undergo the electric shock? Um, That's terrifying to think about. And this begs the question, what really happened that night? Auntie M says that the institution burnt to the ground but the head nurse is being carted away in a prison. So at the end of the movie, Dorothy wakes up and Auntie M is, and Uncle Henry are both thrilled that she's okay. Because of the storm, the hospital burnt down, they thought she had died. Yeah, she Mm -hmm. wakes up like on the side of a river, like in the woods kind of. So it's like definitely Mm -hmm. away from where she was. Yes, exactly. Auntie M tells her, well, you know, the institution burnt down. And everyone survived except Dr. Worley. He went in to save his machine. And we all know that in Oz, you know, the Gnome King, spoiler, the Gnome King has mm-hmm. died. Mm-hmm. And, you know, but everyone else generally, you right. know, survives. But we don't really know what happened in that, you know, mm-hmm. in that whole thing. Because it's like, how'd yeah. she really end up on the side of the road? Yeah. Because mm-hmm. in Return to Oz, as she escapes, Ozma appears, that mysterious girl. Mm-hmm. And unbuckles her from the table. Yes. And she's able to leave. She could not have done that on her own. Right. So, so it's like, how did she end up on the side of the road? How did, you know, yeah. and why is the head nurse being carted away like she did something wrong? Yeah, she's like arrested. So yeah, when Ozma what? helps Dorothy escape, she actually mentions to her that the screams are of other patients in the hospital that were mistreated. And we're locked away. And we can only assume that the reason that the head nurse is jailed is because the police found out about the mistreatment of these innocent people. And when I think about this movie, to me, the worst part is that. That's the worst part of the whole thing because that's such a terrible, horrible thought that these innocent people were treated so badly. And Auntie M doesn't mention any of this to Dorothy when she wakes up. The actress does a really good job, I think, with this very, it's very subtle. But you could see she kind of doesn't know how to talk to Dorothy throughout the whole movie, but especially so at the end. Yeah. When Dorothy wakes up, Auntie M seems remorseful for putting her in a dangerous situation. But in the end, when Dorothy sees Ozma in the mirror, she doesn't tell Auntie M. She knows to keep her delusions to herself. Is this the case of a child stifling her active imagination? Or is Dorothy in need of help that she may never receive? Or, of course, the third option is that Oz does exist. Um, I choose to believe that one. (laughs) Because that's the nice one. (laughs) Yeah. But I want to know what happened to Belina. <laughs> Belina is an Oz. She's I didn't fine. Think about that. <laughs> yeah, Belina, Belina. Well, yeah, Belina's fine. Yeah, she's an Oz. She's you an believe Oz. in Oz? You believe she's in Oz? Oz. I right. believe in Oz. All right. She's fine. After Dorothy is found safe and returns home, there is a noticeable change with her aunt and uncle, as Uncle Henry seems to find the motivation to finally fix the house, and Auntie M seems warmer toward Dorothy. It's really nice, honestly. Yeah. yeah. After this whole movie is just like beating you down with weird and like unsettling yeah. stuff. I'm yeah. just like, Whew. Yeah. I mean, it's all right. Yeah. Suddenly, suddenly when Dorothy's back, you know, Uncle Henry seems, he's mm-hmm. whistling. He's yeah. fixing the house. I feel like there's a little more color. Not a whole lot of yeah. color, but like 
a little more color in their yeah. in their outfits and things. Yeah, the the weather seems nicer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's almost like when she restored things in Oz, it fixed things uh, in yeah. the real world. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of I, I think that's kind of the whole thing, you know. In the first one, in the first story, essentially what happens is that she shows up in Oz and her whole goal is to go home. She doesn't really yeah. have, yeah. you know, that's it. She shows up. She's like, oh, I yep. better go home. And that's all she's trying to do. Mm-hmm. And this one, she returns kind of on purpose yeah. and mm-hmm. has a mission to accomplish. And when she accomplishes it, you know, things change. So I, I think that it's very possible her actions in Oz may have affected the real world. Yeah. Or, you know, at least her perception of the real world. So here's a wacky theory oz and the real world exist on the same plane and they influence each other <laughs> yes exactly oh, i mean so this movie as we said before takes place within the second and third books of l frank Baum, the marvelous land of oz and ozma of oz there's of course some similarities and differences between those books and the movie starting with the marvelous land of oz Dorothy is not in this book, and it instead focuses on a boy named Tip, who serves an old self-proclaimed witch named Mombi. Huh. Yeah. That's immediately a huge difference. (laughs) Yes. Very different. This is where the movie gets the name for the villain, but it's not the same character as the Mombi that we know. Tip is the character that creates a scarecrow to play a joke on Mombi. Mombi ends up bringing the creature to life, and he becomes Jack Pumpkinhead. Tip becomes friends with this creature, made of sticks, and they escape with the magic powder that brought him to life. The Emerald City has been taken over by a woman army, led by General Ginger. With the help of the Tin Man, they are able to run off General Ginger and her army from the Emerald City. Soon after, though, they are planning another escape away, for fear that General Ginger will return. And this is where they create the thing with a gump's head. The palm leaves used to create him were venerated, and if taken, is punishable by death seven times and then put in prison. (laughs) (laughs) The gump helps the group, but is embarrassed to be a mixture of items. I kind of don't blame him, but, I mean, come on. He looks so cool and comfortable. I know, right? I just want to sit on his back. (laughs) Other things happen in this book, but they return to the Emerald City to defeat General Ginger and capture Mombi, who knows the secret of where Ozma, who is the true heir to the Emerald City throne, is. It is revealed that Mombi had changed Ozma into the boy Tip. Near the end of the book, the Gump implores Ozma to take him apart as a reward, and so she does. So Ozma of Oz. The movie plot was mostly taken from this book, where Dorothy has returned. Just as in the movie, the characters of the Gnome King, the Wheelers, and TikTok are introduced. The second half of the movie character Mombi comes from this book's character Princess Languideer. Her physical attributes are similar because she is also able to switch heads. The difference, however, is that Princess Languideer's personality changes with each head, meaning that with certain heads, she can be good. The book is more preoccupied with the true villain of the Gnome King, who does not transform into rock like in the movie. The final big difference was that the ending dragged out longer in the book because they must establish the new royalty and piecing Oz back together. Uh-huh. So these books yeah. are more like Tolkien. You know, it's yeah. more like a history. At the beginning of the episode, we mentioned that it was kind of written as like he was being told of what had happened. Yes. Right? Ah. So you would write it down kind of like a historian yes. would. And that's he was all the royal details. historian of Oz. Mm-hmm. Yes. yes. So upon release, Return to Oz was not a critical darling. What? Can you believe that? Ah, I'm appalled. <laughs> How? Many praised the movie for its faithful adaptation to the books, while others wondered about the seriousness of the material and whether it was suitable for children. The New York Times' Janet Maslin said in her review, Children are sure to be startled by the film's bleakness. And others would say Dorothy's friends are as strange as her enemies. This is faithful to the original Oz books, but it didn't seem to translate to screen as the way Merchant tended. 
The film debuted earning almost $3 million opening weekend, finishing in seventh place. It grossed over $11 million in North America, but today is considered to be a cult classic. So in an interview, Feruza Bulk said, you know, I hope people like this movie and they tell their friends that they like this movie. And I, I didn't do super well. But, you know, Feruza, I like this movie and yeah. I made my friends watch it. So <laughs> I just Very want you true. to know that I did do that. So. Yes. <laughs> And we ended up liking it, too. Yeah. And I'm going to watch it again very soon. <laughs> Return to Oz received an Academy Award nomination for Best Visual Effects, but lost to Cocoon. <laughs> and additionally received two Saturn Award nominations for Best Fantasy Film. However, it was quite popular in Japan. If you know anything about Japan, then you get it. <laughs> When it was released, Return to Oz made it into the Guinness Book of World Records for the longest time between a sequel and its prequel, mm. as it was released 46 years after Wizard of Oz. Yeah. Wow. Now, that's not true. Yeah. Yeah. Mary Poppins Returns was that's, released. That, that's right. That Almost one's... 60 years after the first I one. think 54, yeah. 55 yeah. years, maybe. Mm -hmm. Something like that. Yeah. Disney just has to keep it going, huh? <laughs> Seriously. Yeah. So what do you guys think about this movie before I finish it um it's fantastically weird and that's yes. i mean that's it because it does enough to drag you through and you get it it's like yeah this is oz i know oz is super weird but mm -hmm. like i know it's grounded enough right to kind of you're able to suspend your disbelief like i said everything kind of fits naturally as you think it would yeah except for a couple things here and there that really twist your brain but it's just those twists are so great, like yeah. Mombi and, and, and Gump and all these just weird things just make it so fun and charming, even though it's still really creepy at times. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I loved it, but I feel like I have an even greater appreciation of it now, yeah. knowing yeah. all the little things that that made it happen you know just having brian henson in it <laughs> and just like all the work that the wheelers did yeah. and it's incredible yeah they make it look so like easy and yeah. simple and it's like it's not <laughs> <laughs> so i grew up watching this movie we watched it countless saturdays i think it's one of those rare movies that we all agreed on we all loved it my dad especially loved it, and he always liked really weird things, really yeah. strange things. Classic. Yeah, and he loved <laughs> to scare us, you know. He thought it was a lot of fun to scare us, and so he would do that, and this so this movie reminds me of him. But mm -hmm. the thing about this movie, too, is that it, it was so important to my family. We, we quoted it all the time. We still do. Mm -hmm. There are every single character, I think, has at least one quote-worthy line in this movie. They're <laughs> yeah. very, very funny characters. Mr. Gump, can't you fly any faster? Not unless one of you wants to jump off. Oh. TikTok, you're the heaviest. Oh, oh I love it so much. Yeah. It's so funny. And, you know, when they're falling out of the sky, I'm sorry, Mom. <laughs> it's okay, Jack. It can't be helped now. <laughs> <laughs> Just very calm, just under the, pressure. The banter. <laughs> just you know, it's such a strange movie, and it, and some of the lines are just so funny to me. Is how matter of fact everybody is. We've got a talking pumpkin and a moose with palms for wings, and everybody's acting like this is the most normal thing that they've ever seen yeah. or done. Everybody has their own flying moose yeah. couch. It's, yeah. I mean, everybody's got yeah. one. Yeah, and. You know, you feel really, I mean, you just have, you go through so many emotions mm -hmm. in this, you know, for Dorothy. And in the regular world, she's seen as this person who needs a lot of help and is having a lot of issues. Mm -hmm. And then when she goes into Oz, she's this hero yeah. that yeah. everyone looks to, to save them. I just remember watching it and thinking as a kid, like, wow, she's so smart. Mm -hmm. You know, I can't think of any other movies that are like this one. I mean, mm -hmm. you mentioned Neverending Story and um, and Labyrinth, and they're they're in the same vein, right? Yeah. They, to me, mm -hmm. it was like that was like the cre creepy yeah. '80s trilogy. Yeah. The, yeah, that's yeah. What, if you're gonna introduce somebody to this movie, you mm -hmm. might want to be like, okay, 
think back to like 80s <laughs> labyrinth yeah. like you know picture that prepare your mind for that don't think that this is gonna be a 2020 like yeah, yeah. and and like we mentioned maybe sprinkle the dark crystal in there too yeah like, oh, yes you know it's it, those weird 80s puppet filled yeah. animatronic filled <laughs> movies right yeah but this one still has a tone and atmosphere that is different like you said it's mm-hmm. darker it brings you down a little bit with some mm-hmm. of the hard-hitting things that are yeah. in it yes yet at the end it's like everything's all right yeah we fixed it right but it's still a secret and there's still this there's still kind of this ominous theme you know it's Mm -hmm. a little more uplifting at the end but Mm -hmm. you still have this there's still this heaviness you know in the way that auntie m looks at dorothy and you know Mm -hmm. that these problems aren't necessarily resolved you know ending on a note of kind of a question and kind of an unresolved feeling makes a lot of sense for these books and they just they really hit the mark Mm -hmm. in terms of everything the characters the setting the feeling Mm -hmm. all of it and so they did such a good job Yes, it's it's really great. And I like what you said about it kind of not really resolving everything and not really ending, you know. Yeah. Because at the end, she's able to just say words into the mirror and kind of do a hand gesture and then and then Ozma appears, mm-hmm. right? And that's like, does she have like control of it now? Can she yeah. go back, f- yeah. back and forth freely? Like, it really kind of leaves it open at the same time as resolving this right piece. And right, it, it gives you this idea that Dorothy is a little more in control than yeah, she, she was at the beginning yeah, of the movie. Yeah, she's more in control, and she's a little bit more confident yeah. in that control. And um, Auntie M and her uncle both kind of not really see that because obviously they can't be told about Oz, but mm-hmm. they mm-hmm. kind of feed off of that confidence and they're like, you know what? She is all right. Yeah, she'll, she'll be, be okay. okay. Yeah. She'll yeah. be all right. Return to Oz is one of those films you can often find on internet lists about movies that scarred us all for life. It was filled with menacing villains and grotesque imagery with sometimes creepy characters. Return to Oz was a special effects marvel, combining talent with ingenuity to create a completely believable complex world that until 1985 only truly existed between the pages of L. Frank Baum's books. Whoa. This movie shouldn't be solely defined by its scary characteristics. It featured a lead character believed to be suffering from mental illness, a child no less, something that many children's films would shudder to mention. Sure, Dorothy's friends seem as strange as the villains, but that just teaches us not to judge people on looks alone. Dorothy loves her friends, no matter how odd they may seem. Return to Oz is dark and twisted, but uniquely enchanting. It spoke to a lot of children in a way that no other film had before, with complex themes and dark imagery, with a lovable group of misfits too odd for more mainstream audiences. Return to Oz is strange, but in the most wonderful way. You know what you could say? It's a little odd, or it's a little Oz. Ah, boo! Oh, come on. How long were you sitting on that? Yeah. Yeah. Entire episode. No. Oh, okay. So today we got shouted out on Twitter. Yay. By a dear friend of ours yes. who's a really he's a fan of our show and we met him through the show mm-hmm. and we really appreciate him. His name's JD. He says if you aren't listening to Black Case Diary yet, that's our Twitter name, Black Case Diary, because you know Black Case Diaries is too many letters. That's <laughs> <sighs> Twitter. If you aren't listening to Black Case Diary yet, then you aren't listening to me tell you how amazing it is. But I'm going to continue to shout it out because this show is one of the best out there. Check out their coverage of Casper. <laughs> thanks man thanks jd and yeah go, adam's saluting you yes, yes. i am <laughs> da, 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 da. um and yeah go check out casper because it was pretty good yeah it was yeah. a good one it was a friendly case that's right yeah so i think that's another case closed <laughs> thank you so much for listening to our show we really appreciate it we want to thank our patrons joel jacob john Jacqueline, Shelly, and Anthony. Oh, we really appreciate you guys. Yes. It means everything to us that you support our show. It does. 
And if you want to find more about us, BlackCaseDiaries.com, we've got an about page. We've got a link to some merch. We've got Patreon. Check out our blog on this episode and on every other episode because we've got links. And we actually write stuff in there that nobody reads. So we need you guys to read it so we feel like (laughs) we're not wasting our time. So thank you. It's it's really good. We're not just shoving it in your face because we we want to. It's got a lot of stuff. It's got extra stuff. Like anything that we reference is going to be there. Yes. If you like, oh, man, I want to see what that looks like. Check out the blog. It's going to be there. If you want to see, I believe his name was Stuart, balled up in the TikTok costume. Oh, my gosh. It'll be there. Don't just Google it. Well, because then you don't have to Google everything. Yeah, you won't have to search it. It's you just search it there. there. Exactly. And, you know, if you had a hard time following us, all of our show notes will be on there. Yeah. All that, all those things that we read, that's there. Basically yeah. read along. You know what the top tier way to listen to Black Case Diaries is? Go to the blog and click play there because the episode is on the blog too. Yes. And then just kind of go along with it as you go because then you'll see those pictures right as we talk about exactly. them. Exactly. Boom. Thank you yes. so much for listening to our show, though. We really appreciate it. Have a great Spooktober, and we'll see you next week. (laughs) Bye-bye. So if someone steals something, you think the right thing is for them to give it back? Yes, Your Majesty. And what if they don't want to? Give it back. When we are here with our army to conquer you and force you to give it back. Mom, why is he laughing?